0: Welcome back everybody to the Luke Beasley Show. It is so great to be with you on this Wednesday. What a show ahead of us. Let's dive in. Democrats in the House of Representatives and the Senate introduced the Raise the Wage Act of 2023, which as you might uh, be able to predict, it raises the federal minimum wage from its absurdly low uh figure right now, $7.25 per hour and we'll get to the specifics of what it raises it to and by when the gradual increases and all of the details in a moment but i want to talk about this number one because it's a chance now that a news item has happened related to the minimum wage to discuss why we should raise the minimum wage and we'll have a data-driven conversation about the case that can be made for that exact policy position then also it's a really good example of the stark contrast between Democratic governance and Republican governance. And right now, especially in the House of Representatives, you have Democrats, as we'll get to a clip of Hakeem Jeffries advocating for this policy. And while there's no chance it's going to get passed right now with the Republicans having majority, and they weren't, uh, and Democrats weren't able to even get it through when they had the House and Senate, the first two years of Biden's presidency, at least proposals are being put forward and legislation is being introduced and then in other situations Democrats have successfully gotten through during those two years when they had the two chambers in the White House uh, policy positions that are benefiting the lives of Americans and so you have that on one end and the Republican, mayhem that we've been covering extensively, the hearings, the political stunts, the investigations, and all of that that is not serving to benefit the lives of Americans. And so this is a really good example of that stark difference. But with that uh, in mind, we'll dive into the specifics of this legislation, look at Hakeem Jeffries, and then have that data driven conversation about raising the minimum wage. So this is from the Economic Policy Institute Institute. The federal minimum hourly wage is just $7.25 and has not increased since 2009. The Raise the Wage Act of 2023 introduced in the U.S. House of Representatives and U.S. Senate on July 25th, 2023 would gradually raise the federal minimum wage to $17 an hour by 2028. And so when you take the $15 an hour kind of typical standard uh, Democratic position, $15 an hour, And then consider the fact that a lot of years have passed by since that was calculated and it wouldn't get to 17 until 2028. That's kind of how that calculation, that figure came uh, to be. The bill would also gradually raise and then eliminate sub minimum wages for tip workers, workers with disabilities and youth workers so that all workers covered by the Fair Labor Standards Act would be at the same wage level. So again, it's gradual to minimize the shock economically. And we'll discuss the economic reality of an increase like this uh, in a moment. But uh, 2028 would be when all of that was fully in effect, hypothetically, if this got passed, which it won't anytime soon. I just say that I repeat that so that I'm not giving you a false sense of hope that we're about to get a change like this. Just the current political landscape. Very, very unlikely. But here's Hakeem Jeffries advocating for it.
1: We want to make clear that the Raise the Wage Act is central to our efforts to build an economy from the middle out and the bottom up, as opposed to an economy from the top down. We believe in an economy that works for everyday Americans, not an economy for the wealthy, the well-off And the well-connected. 1987 I believe uh, it was the movie Wall Street where Michael Douglas played the character Gordon Gekko, who famously uttered the words greed is good. We want to make clear that greed is not good. Greed is not good for the American worker. Greed is not good for organized labor. Greed is not good for the middle class. Greed is not good for working families. Greed is not good for all.
0: And then he continues, but we'll stop there for the sake of time. For the purposes of this conversation, we'll focus in on $15 an hour because that's kind of the number that's been researched a lot recently and studied. And uh, then I think it's fair after analyzing all this information to assume that the inflation we've experienced in the years since some of this research and up until 2028 justifies a $2 bump on top of the 15 figure that we'll focus in on here. First thing up front, that's important to say because often uh, the first talking point that gets provided in response to advocating for increasing the minimum wage is something to the effect of if you want to increase it, then What's to stop you from saying we should do $100, $200, $300 minimum wage? Well, of course, there's a sweet spot, right? You have to kind of find that equilibrium point that gives you the benefits of increasing people's wages without going so out of whack that you cause a bunch of negative ramifications because of that policy. And it is a vast conversation how you get to that exact number, how it's gotten to, um, but For the purposes of this segment put simply what we know right now is that the value being inputted into the economy by the workers that would be impacted by this type of policy is going beyond what then is being reflected in dollar amounts compensation for those workers and so that's when you need to start having the government come in who has an interest in Uh, filling the holes or or acting when the free market fails to do certain things for the people and uh, put their finger on the scale a little bit and even that out some so what I mean by that, as the World Economic Forum reports on a study by the Economic Policy Institute has found that the growth in compensation is lagging far behind that of the productivity of the American employee. So yes, you can't compensate far beyond the value the productivity that's actually being brought forward by a worker otherwise. A bunch of issues are caused, namely inflation. Um, but right now, that we're not any, anywhere close to that issue. We're on the other end, under compensation, because the free market's failing because of the power structures that are in place. Between 1948 and 1979, the growth in productivity versus wages were relatively similar, with an increase of 108% and 93% respectively. So that was 1948 to 1979. But then fast forward, 1979 to 2019, whilst net productivity has continued to increase by an expected 70%, so productivity keeps charging forward, hourly compensation in the country is less than a fifth of that at just 12%. Productivity, compensation not matching. So seeing that, you can raise the wages of workers uh, to match the productivity that has been consistently increasing of our workforce without throwing the economic reality out of whack, put simply. And uh, one of the concerns and the kind of common knowledge for a long time was, well, yeah, great, but that will cause unemployment to go up because businesses will have to pay more on uh, workers, on labor, and thus they won't be able to have as many workers and they'll have to cut um, and, and lay off people. But while I'm always going to be fully transparent. There are studies that indicate that and research that indicates that that's where it came from. Number one, there's also research to the contrary, not just that maybe that effect isn't actually present, but there could be a positive effect on employment. And all of this is zoomed out because we're talking about federal. It's very zoomed out. It's very industry specific too and region specific. But to just keep it a little bit zoomed out, you could see broadly some negative uh sorry some positive impacts on employment of a higher minimum wage that we'll get to in a moment and even when you take into consideration the research that does indicate uh, a possible negative effect on employment with a significant minimum wage increase it's not super significant it's not super massive and so that could easily be compensated for on the part of uh, policymakers lawmakers so that you get Again, the benefits of higher wages, and especially in this current tight labor market, really not that notable of an impact on employment uh, slash unemployment. So this is from UC Berkeley. But again, maybe that negative impact wouldn't even materialize at all. And possibly the reverse, as I'll outline here, a $15 minimum wage would cost jobs, right? Probably not, economists say. Proposals for a $15 an hour minimum wage suffered a major setback last week in Congress following months of debate, debate and negotiation focused largely, and this is summarizing something that's not so relevant anymore today, but here's the question being addressed in uh, this research being reported on. If the minimum wage is doubled over a five-year span, would that cause employers to reduce staff or hire fewer people? The conventional wisdom says yes. And if you want to help workers, you don't want to cut jobs. There's just one problem. A growing body of evidence suggests that the conventional wisdom is wrong. Extensive research led by UC Berkeley economists and alumni has found that significant increases in the minimum wage have little, if any, impact on employers' hiring decisions. And in fact, the researchers say a higher minimum wage can produce benefits not just for workers, but for their employee uh, employers, their communities, and the entire economy. Quote, Raising the minimum wage is a simple, direct way that we can improve the incomes of low-wage workers, pull many poor families out of poverty, and pull many children out of poverty, said Ken Jacobs, chair of the UC Berkeley Labor Center. It allows us to do it in a way that's good for the overall economy, and it's incredibly popular among voters. And so there, you might ask how on earth could raising the wage of certain workers help employment? And I want to once again reference, and I actually don't have this pull up, but whatever it was, 27 million workers that would be impacted by this. How would that help employers? How would that help businesses not impact employment? Well, if the workers have more money, workers are also consumers in other aspects of their life. And so if they're getting paid more properly, they can spend more businesses and thus give those businesses more funds to hire more workers and it can have a positive impact. To an extent, again, not if everyone's getting paid $100 an hour because that doesn't reflect at all the value that they're putting in as a worker um, in the jobs that we're talking about here. And then to uh, reference another UC Berkeley piece talking about how if you look back at when the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938 was implemented, you had the same talking points of doomsday disasters that would be... uh, necessarily poised to happen if this act was implemented in a law, and it was and those things didn't happen. And then it walks through how in the textile industry, yeah, some southern textile mills saw a slight decrease in employment, but northern textile mills saw a slight increase in employment. And then in other industries in the south, you saw an increase. So it can actually level out. And then you have a bunch of people getting paid better overall, a huge net good. And for the sake of time, I'll skip through some other things. We would have talked about the benefit to uh, mothers, low income mothers and their health of doing this and some other things polling. It's incredibly popular as Vox reports uh, about six in ten U.S. adults, 62% say they favor raising the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. Um, And that was not Vox. That was Pew uh, Pew Research Vox, I should say also found 61% of likely voters support Democrats' gradual minimum wage hike. So such a great policy. Gradually increase it. The shock won't be too bad because of the gradual increases. Businesses can adjust each year and then you can have communities flush with more cash and um, businesses growing because of that and employment able to flourish. And of course, workers getting paid the amount they should be getting paid that matches more accurately the productivity that they're bringing into our uh, economic reality in the united states so keep pushing on your lawmakers and keep advocating in your social spaces for this policy because it is a good one robert f kennedy jr did a town hall on fox news with sean hannity and uh, it was absolutely bonkers as you might be able to predict. Lots of conspiracy theories detached from reality statements being made here from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and I want to walk through and then do on one of the subjects he brings up a sort of detailed fact check of his nonsense that he'll spew. So we'll start with that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. who's running as a Democrat even though he shouldn't be talking about Russia's invasion of Ukraine and doing the sort of talking points we've heard some on the left but very prominently in the Maga part of the GOP very often
2: Use language art you use the design of agreement so Ukraine to, to appease Putin, uh, Putin rather who I think is evil they've already given up Crimea it was annexed so what they now they have to give up the Donbass area I uh, you know the, the Ukraine because of our pushing the Ukraine into the war on two occasions in the in we, we pushed them into it, or Putin made yeah, Well, let invaded. me tell you. Let me let me answer your question. Yeah. In 2019, France, Germany, and Russia all agreed to the
0: Minsk Accords. That year. By the way, quick side note. There's a little like wah, 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 noise. That's not on my end. That's on the clips end. Something going on with the mic there. Um, it does sound. I will take note. Just because I have to. It's my obligation. Okay as I sit here and deliver accurate information to you, that it does sound a little bit like what my mother would call a toot. Here,
2: Zelensky ran for president. He was a comedian, he had no political experience. Why did he win? Because he, he won, ran on one issue, signing the Minsk Accords. As soon as he got in there, Victoria Nuland and the White House told him he couldn't do it. Then Putin sends 40,000 troops in. That's not enough to conquer the country. Clearly, he wanted us to come to the negoti. He wanted somebody to come to the negotiating table. Zelensky came to the negotiating table, signed a new agreement that was the Minsk Accords II in 2022, and that would have allowed Donbas to stay, and Lugansk, to stay, to remain as part of, of Ukraine. We said Putin signed it, Zelensky initialed it, and Putin, in good faith, began withdrawing troops from the Ukraine.
0: Okay. And we'll stop the clip there. He just goes on and on and on not really valuable to continue listening because of the point that Andrew Vindman responded to this clip saying on Twitter, very accurately, absolutely nothing. This clown said is remotely correct the dates, names, places, context, everything was wrong to anyone who understands the topic. He sounds like a complete ignoramus. So, uh, yeah, I've said before, if you're a politician, If you're in politics if you're a pundit you're on fox news you have a show like mine whatever context in which you're delivering information about politics or really any other subject my advice would be step one make it a priority to know stuff about things okay just very simple if you're going to talk about a thing know stuff about that thing that would be my advice um and i'll break down more specifically why he's being so dishonest about everything he just said there um, after watching a little bit more from another clip here,
2: he could resolve the issue. Could you, do you think you can create a peace agreement between Ukraine and Russia? I think we have to, there's no joint Russia's not going to lose this war. Russia can't afford this would be like us losing a war to Mexico. They're not they are not going to lose the war. Go look at what Russia didn't
0: solve. How is that an answer? Is he just saying, um, I would get a peace agreement in that I would give everything to Russia.
2: In, grad, in order to preserve its its territorial integrity, Russia's been invaded three times through the U. Russia's been invaded three times.
0: Yeah, so he's just doing the legwork of the Kremlin, parroting the talking points nearly verbatim. So as Newsweek reported on this, it is unclear, referencing the first clip, what 2019 agreement Kennedy is even referring to, as the two Minsk accords designed to stop fighting in eastern Ukraine were signed in September 2014 and February 2015. While they did reduce fighting between Ukraine and Russian-backed separatists, the accords never stopped the violence entirely, and Putin announced they no longer exist before Moscow's full-scale invasion of Ukraine began in February 2020. To the initial Russian invasion force consisted of around 190,000 troops according to the Center for Strategic and International Studies think tank and at no point did Putin uh, begin withdrawing troops except in response to battlefield reverses as happened north of Kyiv in March and April of 2022 and then they say that they contacted the Kennedy campaign for clarity on these points there's no clarity because he's just being dishonest and it's similar to what we hear about Oh, it was, as he's saying, the United States pushed Russia into this and Russia had no uh, other option and they were just protecting their territorial integrity and oh boo-hoo, they're the victim and they can't lose so we might as well just give them everything. And it's really the United States and the West's fault for trying to expand NATO. And we've gone through so specifically all these talking points but kind of quickly run through some of them. The NATO point, people will say the West promised that NATO want to expand and there was an agreement, there was never a formal agreement, even Gorbachev who was supposed to have made the agreement said that that didn't happen. Um, And then as of recently, right before Russia invaded, it became clear that there was no plan in the near term to admit Ukraine or start the the process of admitting Ukraine into NATO and then Russia invaded. So if it was about NATO expansion, why would they invade right after knowing that NATO was not going to expand anytime? in the near future. It makes absolutely no sense. It's clear if you study and uh, keep up with the trajectory of Putin's ambition. He wants to expand the Russian Empire, bring it back to its Soviet Union glory in his mind. And he feels like Ukraine is rightfully a part of Russia. He speaks that way. It's clear he wants to expand the power, the territory of Russia, and thinks he has in his distorted mind the right to because of Ukraine. That's what this is about. It's him being the imperialist trying to expand his power. It's not the, in this case, imperialist United States coming in and starting a war with Russia. That's not what's going on. We've talked about the very, very incorrect decisions, condemnable decisions that the United States has made in the past when it comes to foreign policy stuff, this is not one of them. They are acting correct. The United States is acting correct in this situation. And then moving on to a question about why he should be vote, uh, voted for by the American people.
2: We have a, a minute left in, in this hour. And I want to ask you this. You, you, you're talking to the American people tonight. Why should they vote for you for president? Tell them, what, what, make I mean- in a one minute final statement Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I'm running on a, um, a, a, I think most Americans were at each other's throats today. We have the worst polarization that we've ever had since the American Civil War. It's more dangerous and more toxic. The 60s was a little crazy, too. The 60s, yeah, when my father ran, it was, you know, there was a lot of uh, division at that time. But it's hard to see how this is ever going to end well. And what I've said is I want to end that polarization, and I want to do that by telling the truth.
0: Well, if that's what you're supposed to want, then, sir, you act in opposition to the things you say that you want. If you want to speak truth to stop the division, you should start trying to speak truth. A noticeably, visibly, desperate, delusional, detached, dangerous, Donald Trump released a video to his true social account, deranged, sorry, I have to include that. Uh, He released a video to his true social account, begging, pleading for the Republicans in Congress to once again weaponize their power that they have to defend him in some way, to step in, to interfere with his accountability legally that he's possibly experiencing now based on his seemingly clear violations of the law. And he's saying, please, Republicans, while you're in Washington complaining about the federal government being weaponized, can you please use your role in the federal government, weaponize it to protect me? Take a look.
2: Congress, if you will, please investigate the political witch hunts against me currently being brought by the corrupt DOJ and FBI who are totally out of control. They don't go after Biden with all of his corruption, the most corrupt president in history. False. But they keep coming after me from the day I came down the escalator, all failures.
0: Hmm. You'll notice he never addresses the E-word. He'll stay vague, but he won't dive into the evidence. He won't explain how the evidence against him is illegitimate and the evidence, or lack thereof, is somehow actually present against Joe Biden. And separate from his baseless accusations against Joe Biden and the right wing's baseless accusations against Joe Biden, why even then are you saying that Trump shouldn't be held accountable for his violations of the law? Even that argument doesn't make sense. So when you take into consideration that what they're saying Biden did, he didn't do, or at least they haven't been able to prove it, then it's particularly absurd that they're saying Trump shouldn't be held accountable. And they won't address any of them, the details of, for example, the classified documents indictment, because if you do that, it becomes clear that Trump committed crimes. It seems very, very clear. And if indeed we live in a country, as they say, or they did previously, they wanted us to of law and order and no one's above the law, then Trump should be held accountable for that under the law. He continued on True Social saying, so let's get this straight. The Democrat slime balls in Congress, hmm, then headed by crazy Nancy Pelosi, impeached me over a perfect phone call I won and are now indicting me over their continuing illegal and long-running witch hunt. But crooked Joe Biden, who has stolen and extorted millions of dollars, that's just not true, has not been proven, won't be impeached or indicted by a very kind, friendly, and politically correct Republican Congress. Notice how strange that is. The reason I pause after indicted, he's saying Congress should indict Biden. Eh, does he know how Congress works? Congress can't indict people. Gee, that seems very fair to me. Make America great again, Trump ends it. So the message from Trump is House Republicans should indict Biden and impeach him. Now, they're not going to indict him, but it does seem like as we see so often they are falling in line with what trump's uh, trump wants and they are starting impeachment inquiries or talking about it and saying that it's time to prepare for impeachment of biden again based on accusations we've so thoroughly gone through and explained in the past why they're very very illegitimate against president biden from republicans but they're ready to impeach him or at least start that discussion and Marjorie Green was proudly bragging about how she started that discussion the day after Biden got into office, because she's serious. This isn't just a political distraction. This is serious. And that's why I wanted to impeach a president the day after, the first full day of his <laughs> presidency. Hmm. Um, but this, most importantly, absolutely highlights how Trump uses those who do have positions of power right now, like we talked about, I think it was yesterday, to help his own campaign work in his political interest. And now House Republicans will do what he's saying. We're gonna go after Biden more and more and more as we possibly can to help Trump politically. And that's pretty wild. And shouldn't be how our leaders uh, within these positions of power act. We've talked about in the past, these two Georgia election workers who were working as a part of the election process in Georgia in the 2020 election and randomly became a part of a right-wing conspiracy theory. And their names are Ruby Freeman and Wandrea Shea and were targeted by Trump and Rudy Giuliani and all these right-wingers lying about them and very much had their lives upended because of these lies of them being a part of this attempt to steal the 2020 election and all this nonsense. Well, they are taking legal action and sued Rudy Giuliani. And Rudy Giuliani, because of that, has now conceded as is being reported here by uh, the Associated Press that he made public comments falsely claiming two Georgia election workers committed ballot fraud during the 2020 presidential race, but is arguing that the statements were protected by the First Amendment. And then it walks through that the assertion by Giuliani, who is part of Donald Trump's legal team, tried to overturn results in battleground states came in a filing Tuesday, in a lawsuit by Ruby Freeman and Andréa Shea Moss, their lawsuit from December 2021 accused the former New York City mayor of disfaming them by falsely stating that they engaged in fraud while counting ballots at a State Farm Arena in Atlanta. The lawsuit says Giuliani repeatedly pushed debunked claims that Freeman and Moss, mother and daughter, pulled out suitcases of illegal ballots and committed other acts of fraud to try to alter the outcome of the race. And now he has admitted, indeed, he was lying. Now, he won't use the term lie, he'll say false statements, but I actually thought they were true, I'm sure. But he was indeed lying. Now, if you're not familiar, or just to kind of refresh your memory, here was a little bit of uh, Ruby Freeman's testimony in front of the January 6th Select Committee about how these lies impacted her life and her daughter's life.
1: I've lost my name, and I've lost my reputation. I've lost my sense of security, all because a group of people starting with number 45 and his ally, Rudy Giuliani, decided to scapegoat me and my daughter, Shay, to push their own lies about how the presidential election was stolen. We're just going to play the tape. There is nowhere I feel safe. Nowhere. Do you know how it feels to have the president of the United States to target you? The president of the United States is supposed to represent every American.
0: And just so heartbreaking. And credit to her and her daughter for being brave enough to take action against these liars, these dangerous anti-democratic liars, to take them on in court Um, and now because of that Giuliani publicly is having these headlines come out about him Giuliani concedes he made public comments falsely claiming Georgia election workers committed fraud and the reason I cover this is it's important it's interesting but part of its importance is that because accountability sometimes is very delayed from the event it can sometimes feel like, oh yeah, but we, oh, that was so long ago. Oh, all the election <laughs> lies and all that. And so then finally, when some accountability or some admissions of dishonesty or whatever it might be, start trickling out, they might get less coverage, less discussion. And that can happen. It's so important that we circle back around and acknowledge the danger of these lies, especially considering the fact that. Donald Trump is using so much of his current platform running for president talking about how the last election was stolen from him when it absolutely wasn't and this movement is still very prevalent and prominent this MAGA election nine movement that believes if they lose it's because it was stolen they can't uh, conceive these days of a situation where they just get rejected correctly, constitutionally, lawfully, no fraud. You just got rejected. And that's what happened in 2020. And if it happens again, hopefully in 2024, we're going to see dangerous lies. And then maybe in 2026, or 2027, the next Rudy Giuliani is going to have to come out and say, oh yeah, those, those were false statements. And that's when Uh, as we observe situations like this you wonder why the people who follow and believe these individuals who lie so much who spew so much garbage don't wake up to that fact look he's admitting he wasn't telling the truth there or he wasn't actually presenting accurate facts so don't buy his garbage in the future and people similar to Rudy Giuliani's garbage random other Rudy Giuliani moment He said during a recent interview, he doesn't want a criminal in the White House, referring to the unsubstantiated, baseless accusations against uh, Joe Biden. And it obviously sounded like he was talking about Donald Trump perfectly.
2: You go on and on and on. It's an embarrassment. The whole world knows that our president is a criminal. And uh, it is is making not just a Biden.
0: Just quickly, the whole world, when you say that, most world leaders and the citizens of the rest of the world go, what on earth is going on with this American Republican Party? They are just, it's a clown show over there.
2: The administration look corrupt. It's making America look corrupt. It's way beyond time for an impeachment. The man should not be in, a criminal should not be in the White House. And
0: he is now... I hate to say it, but I agree with that statement. We shouldn't have a criminal in the White House, and that's why Rudy Giuliani should not want Donald Trump to be in the White House again. One guy you say is a criminal because of the, by the way, Rudy Giuliani in particular, the accusations and stories that you chased around for a long time trying to prove and you couldn't. And then once Trump left office, now this new Republican majority is trying to unearth and continue trying to spin this same bribery scheme accusation that doesn't have evidence for it. And the guy who was trying to get the evidence for Rudy Giuliani wrote a letter to James Comer saying, dude, I was trying to find these accusations, or I should say evidence for these accusations about Biden during the Trump administration for Rudy Giuliani and I looked and looked and looked you're on a wild goose chase I can tell you there's no evidence for these things the guy who was trying to get that evidence for Rudy Giuliani said that uh Lev Parnas and still Rudy Giuliani is saying that's the real criminal but the guy who's been indicted twice about to be a third about to be possibly a fourth and fifth no he's he's not the criminal hmm One of the stories that's been discussed a good bit this week, I've kind of seen out in the political world has been about Vivek Ramaswamy surging in the polls. He's a Republican presidential candidate, wasn't really politically relevant, didn't have a position of power, and all of a sudden is surging a lot in that compared to where he started, he's massively increased his support. Now he started at 1% ish, so he's still low and there's no chance he's going to win. But it's just an interesting phenomenon for sure. And uh, so I want to discuss that and we'll first look at a clip where he appeared on Fox News with Laura Ingram, and just said a very overly confident statement that he definitely is going to be elected president in 2024. He's confident that's going to happen even though he's below 7% polling and he hints at the fact that he's expecting to serve two terms. Wow. Take a look at this and then we'll look at the polling.
2: That is music to my ears because I would, like, fire all the consultants, okay? They're usually wrong, and they get paid a huge amount of money to do precisely nothing, okay? So fire most of the consultants. They're just generally worthless. Um, Commentator Dave Rubin is a DeSantis supporter. I'm I'm told he spoke about your campaign yesterday. Watch this.
1: It's fairly obvious to anyone paying attention that, that Trump and Vivek are coordinating, right? Vivek is doing all endless attacks on DeSantis, no attacks on Trump. And all of the Trump surrogates online, you know who they are. They're always pumping up Vivek because Vivek's going after DeSantis.
2: So Vivek, is that your role here? I mean, he seems to have it all figured out. Well, look, I think a commentator's job is to be a commentator from the side. But the fact is, I'm not attacking DeSantis. I do believe in drawing policy contrasts. That's good for the Republican voters. I am running to win this election. And at this point, Laura, I am confident I will be our next president. And for my case, this isn't about November 2024 as the destination. The destination I think about is January of 2033. What do I want to tell the people of this country that we actually accomplished?
0: Wow. Two terms. Let's just focus on this. Let's focus on the primary. Then you can focus on the journal. Then the uh, reelection bit. Of course, that is the language, and you do want to sound confident and all of that, but I just found that a little bit interesting. And it does seem to be the case that this is a platform enhancer. He's trying to increase the size of his platform, and the best way for him to do that here is attack DeSantis to get more prominent, to have the headlines of him going after a primary candidate, maybe win over some poll numbers from DeSantis, but don't go after the big guy who has the most support because he wants to stay in the good graces of MAGA which I will say again, no matter who wins this primary, none of these candidates would be my choice for president, obviously. Uh, But the fact that Trump has such a hold that no one else can really get enough headway right now is an indictment of the state of the GOP in a very negative way. So the 538 average of polls had him down at 1%. When he announced in that realm and then even dip below 0.8, 0.9 there. And then now he's all the way up at 6.8%, nearly 7%, which is still very low compared to what you would want to be if we're going to put up an actual fight to Trump, which it doesn't seem like he wants to, but is a huge increase from where he started, which is notable. But it does represent kind of as you look at these... Um, these poll numbers what Mitt Romney has been out calling for Republicans to pay attention to which is if you have a bunch of these people taking up little chunks of the vote and there are a lot of candidates that represent the hey we're ready to move on from Trump but we're not super anti-Trump brand then you're gonna splice that a million different ways and Trump is gonna glide easily through the primary and crush everyone and so if they're serious about not having Trump being the nominee then you would wanna have kind of one candidate that supports consolidated behind, support is consolidated behind, I should say. And that doesn't seem like it's gonna happen because of the ego on a lot of these people, but it would be the strategy to defeat him in the primary. I have a pretty stunning clip here for you from Republican representative Bob Good, who is addressing the possibility of a government shutdown and says something that is so much him telling on himself and admitting why he and the modern republican party should not be getting voted into positions of power he makes that case better than anyone with one particular thing that he says and this is within the context of the uh season we're entering into of budget talks and appropriation uh, appropriations bills and if a budget can't be agreed upon between Democrats and Republicans. Of course, there will be a government shutdown, and so that's kind of what is being discussed here. But take a look at what he says while discussing it. Uh,
1: so let me answer that. The end. I, I do not. Uh, I don't believe that you're looking at a government shutdown. I think what you'd be looking at is, um, as as I think Bob, uh, Representative Good, and Representative Rosendale, and, and others have mentioned, you'll see some some aspects, some of the some of the twelve appropriations bills come out in w- what we call a minibus. And then you'll see a short-term continuing resolution to continue spending i am not worried about a uh, uh a government shutdown at this point i think that they'll they'll continue on um and then to try to take it run it out till december to be honest with you but but uh, that's my own perspective i know i'm not speaking for everybody else bob did you want to answer yeah i would and then here's bob good
2: add to that we should not fear a government shutdown right most of what we do up here is bad anyway. Most of what we do up here hurts the American people. When we do stuff to the American people by promising to do things for the American mm-hmm. people, essential operations continue. 85%? Mo- 85%, as Mr. Biggs has just uh, given me that number, continues. Mostly, American people won't even miss if the government is shut down temporarily. But our speaker has an opportunity to be a transformational historical speaker that stared down the Democrats that stared down the free spenders that stared down the president and said, no, we're going to do what the American people elected us to do. And the house is going to say, no, we're going to pass a good Republican bill out of the house and force the Senate and the white house to accept it, or we're not going to move forward.
0: So the really notable part is quote, most of what we do up here is bad anyway. Now, we're going to hear a lot of similar with a debt ceiling conversation uh, with this conversation as well as we uh, cover these negotiations, we'll hear the talking point of the crazy spending Democrats, and we're not going to let them be fiscally responsible any longer. And I will say again, Democrats have a better record when it comes to fiscal responsibility in recent memory when it comes to debt and deficit, better record while overseeing undeniably last hundred years better economic indicators under democratic leadership so in every which way these talking points are just not accurate and i'll say to bob good and then we'll get to the really notable statement that he made if you care about the economy doing better just by pretty much every economic metric that we use if you care about having a more fiscally responsible president and congress then just based on the objective metrics we use to measure some of these things to discuss some of these things you should advocate for yourself to be voted out and democrats to be voted in that's just the reality bob um but maybe everything you do up there is bad anyway and maybe that means you should resign if you think your job your position of power is just something that ruins everything can you leave the position of power and give it to someone who thinks they can actually do some good stuff with it and this is a part of the conservative ideology of the government is fundamentally incapable of properly serving the people and thus a broken government is sort of advantageous to that narrative and thus assisting in leaving broken or breaking the government is advantageous politically to the people running on the government being broken and unfixable and all we should do is go in there and gut it even further and it reminded me of this compilation put together by the recount of Republicans' response to the Nashville mass shooting.
2: And I think with respect to any um, le- discussion of legislation, it- it's premature. I think the things that have already been done have gone about as far as we're going to with gun control.
0: Can't solve everything with legislation. Let's not get into politics, All right? Let's not get into emotion, because emotion feels good, but emotion doesn't solve problems.
2: Um, we're not gonna fix it. Criminals are gonna be criminals. And I think with respect to any um,
0: We're not going to fix it. Legislation can't solve this. Sorry, what are we going to do? That is the uh, idea that comes from that is built on the foundation of believing that everything the federal government does has to be bad. It can't address problems. And that's just so black and white, so wrong. We've seen things and they admit to some things that the government does really well. Medicare Social Security super popular progressive programs that Republicans in their day, or I should say the conservative ideology and whatever party that manifested fought these types of programs every step of the way. And now they'll turn around and say, Okay, Medicare and Social Security, those are good. You're right. But everything else is horrible. Maybe you want to be so horrible, if you would stop (laughs) blocking good policies from being implemented, and stop having this attitude of everything we do is bad anyway. So why even try? Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. I will see you tomorrow.